land of opportunity. I'm looking for work. And in a town called Red Rock. I thought you were supposed to be here last Friday. It comes served on a plate. And you're Lyle from Dallas, right? I think the uh, best way to do this is to make it look like a uh, simple burglary. Well, you know what to do. Your name's Suzanne. I hate to see an innocent woman get hurt, but it's an awful lot of money. Lyle from Dallas finally showed up. You'll know who you mean. Mike. Looks like they went to Texas. Cage, Dennis Hopper, Mara Flynn Boyle. Hello and welcome to the Cult Film West. Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris, I'm your host, and I have a very special first-time guest joining me for this episode. Before I formally introduce my guest, I just wanted to give a friendly reminder that the cult film companion podcast is now available on all major podcast platforms please subscribe it costs you nothing to catch every new episode that we drop including twin peaks talk the weekly recap series of the twin peaks show that i am doing and uh please follow us on social media our handle is at cult film comp c-o-l-t-f-i-l-m-c-o-m-p we are on twitter and instagram we also have a facebook page that we enjoy we invite you to join to talk about cult films all day all the time and we are a featured podcast on the blind knowledge collective at www.blindknowledge.com which is a great website to check out video casts and podcasts from around the world that cover a bunch of unique and interesting topics presented in a very creative and informative fashion so check out all the fine creators over at the blind knowledge collective we are also a featured podcast on newsly newsly is an audio app for ios and android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice download and use newsly for free today at www.newsly.me and please use the promo code c-o-l-t-f-1-l-m that's cult film drop the i pop in a one and get a month free of newsly's premium service courtesy of us so with all that out of the way i would like to introduce my co-host and guest for this episode covering red rock west mr david rosen music composer and podcast host of his own at the piecing it together podcast david welcome to the cult film companion hey thanks so much for having me i'm looking forward to talking about this one well, this is a great movie, and before we dive into Red Rock West, please tell everyone a little bit about the Piecing It Together podcast. Sure. Well, uh, over on Piecing It Together, what we do is take a look at a movie through the lens of what other movies might have inspired it. So we will take whatever the featured movie is. Usually we cover you know, brand new movies, the big releases that just came out, some of the stuff that hits streaming and VOD and all that. But whatever movie it is, we're featured. Uh, rather than just straight up reviewing it, we talk about it through the lens of what other movies might have been an inspiration in some way, whether it be uh, other movies that... Uh, deal with similar themes or filmmaking styles or ideas and uh, it ends up where me and whoever my guest is for that episode we're able to come up with a list of all these other movies that explore these similar themes and ideas and uh, you end up with a great list by the end of the episode and it's a fun different way of talking about a movie and I've been doing it now it'll be uh, five years and a month from now so uh, it's been a while and uh, I love doing it every week. Well, congratulations on coming up in five years. I'm just um, just over a year in here, uh, so I'm a yeah. newbie compared to you. You're a veteran, so 
I'm going to be looking to, I'm looking to you to carry the heavy weight in this episode. Oh, boy. I got got a few notes. So um, we are talking about Red Rock West, which uh, is a a, a 1993 American uh, film, a neo-noir thriller uh, directed by John Dahl, written by John Dahl and his brother Rick, starring Nicolas Cage, Laura Flynn Boyle, Dennis Hopper, and uh, character actor J.T. Walsh. And I've had this this movie on DVD now for years, but it came to my attention um, not only through y- you, but just doing a little bit of research about my own. It's not this is not the easiest movie to track down, uh, which kind of su- right. which is kind of surprising to me, given. The caliber of actors and also just John Dahl as a filmmaker in general, uh, people that might, you know, he's he's also done a, a, another movie of one of one of my favorites at some point that I want to cover um, called The Last Seduction starring uh, Linda Fiorentino. But so let's get out of some of the 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 harder to find movies. He's probably best known for. Rounders, starring Edward Norton and Matt Damon, and Joyride, starring the um, the late Paul Walker, um, Lily Sobieski, and I, I'm forgetting a whole bunch of people. But so he's done some mainstream stuff. But Red Rock West, as far as I could tell, is his second movie. I don't I don't think I've seen his first, but. Similar to The Last Seduction, this movie was produced uh, rather uh, cheaply. Well, comparatively speaking, I would, I suppose, to other movies. So the budget for Red Rock West was seven million, which is nothing to to sneeze at. But also, in terms of things, uh, seven million is sometimes the catering budget for 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 movies. (laughs) And it only brought in about 2.5 million. Uh, the history of the release of Red Rock West, before we even get into the movie itself, it was initially released June 16th, 1993 in France at a film festival. Eventually, uh, April 8th, 1994, came out in the U.S. But people that have seen this movie, 9 out of 10 people that have actually seen Red Rock West, you probably either saw this on HBO where it was sold to almost like a, as an exclusive and it's shown in film festivals but you probably either saw it on HBO some other cable outlet or rented it and now it's kind of it's almost fallen into obscurity because it's it's not necessarily easy to acquire and we don't need to get into uh how you saw this movie whether or not it was a illegal viewing or <laughs> or not sure. um yeah and it sometimes when a movie kind of falls into this level of obscurity and it's it's kind of hard to track down i can kind of understand to be like well you know there's no name power attached to it you know this this is one that i'm very kind of curious that that some sort of um, 
physical media distribution company either i would say that this this would qualify as a criterion release or a kino lorber or something but it's 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 just yeah. not out there my yeah. my uh well i'm gonna ask you about your viewing experience in a second but the the how bare bones my dvd copy of red rock west is it, it doesn't even have a title screen you pop in you pop in the dvd it immediately starts that's it yeah. it's an endless loop dvd and now this was a first time watch for you correct yeah, I you know what I hadn't even heard of this one, and I and I'm a big Nick Cage fan, as many people are. the The way I heard of this movie uh, was a, a few months back. Um, uh, fellow podcaster Petros Patsalevis from the Caged In podcast did uh, some like like a behind the scenes featurette thing for a new uh blu-ray edition of this but it's like an import only thing sure and, yeah uh, i'm not sure if you can even order it here in the united states i don't uh, think you i don't think it, you can yeah. i just quickly yeah. i was placing my um my my monthly amazon order today and I, because we were doing this episode i just happened to be like okay let me just see you can't rent it on even Prime Video. Like a lot of these right. things, like you can't get a physical media. It's not like uh, so. If you can't get a physical copy, at the very least, you can rent it somewhere uh, or yeah. buy it digitally. That doesn't seem to be the case with this movie. So please, right. I'm sorry when that we, I, when we discussed like talking about this, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I heard about Petros doing that that uh, commentary thing and I was like I've been wanting to watch that movie so you know I we should do that one and then I went to Google you know where you could rent it and sure enough it's nowhere and uh, I'm, I'm very against uh, the p-word uh, by the way but mm-hmm. uh, when it comes when it comes to a movie that like simply was nowhere to be rented or streamed in any kind of uh, regular fashion I uh, just happened to see oh somebody just put it up on a website so I guess that's how I'm going to watch it you know and and, and and you said you're against the P word I am too if I'm going yeah. I'm 99% of the time the movies that I cover on this on this show or the movies that I reference I own I'm a physical media fan and sure. I have been for years. Uh, I used to collect VHS tapes and, uh, you know, moved on to, to DVDs and Blu-rays. Because if, if for me, you know, I won't buy everything physically. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll rent movies and I, I subscribe to streaming sites. But it, it, sometimes when it comes to doing a show like this... When I spotlight a movie like Red Rock West, it, it it's tough to talk about because some people, oh, I'd love to talk about that movie, but I can't find it. Like I, I I've never I've heard of it. Uh, it. It's one of those things like they they might even be oh I remember seeing this cover art in the in, in the video stores back when we had those when you could rent them. Uh, it's surprising to me and it's not the only movie uh, at some point I'm going to cover The Last Seduction another John Badham movie those are my two favorites by him not to not to discount uh, Rounders or Joyride or the, he did an 
a very surprising movie with Vin Diesel, uh, Find Me Guilty, uh, which is which is quite good. It's it, it it's just kind of confusing to me that a movie like this. And let's actually let's before I offer my own opinion on this movie. I'm going to ask you as a first-time viewer, what did you think of this movie? I thought it was great. Um, I, Thank you. Like Thank I you. Said, <laughs> yeah, like I, I did a little, you know, letterbox review, and like, like I said there, like it doesn't reinvent anything. No. It, it does everything that it does really, really well. It's a fun watch. It It's like breezy. It like goes by so quick, and it's just a really fun movie to watch. And it, it like it plays on so many of the... Uh, the, the things that I love about these kinds of movies, like the the neo noir and and uh, you know to a lesser degree westerns, even though the setting, um, but it, it's definitely like right in there with the kinds of movies that I really love. So, and again, I'm going to ask you this as a first time viewer: Are you with me on being kind of confused that this isn't more accessible to people? It's it's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy that this movie, and especially, I mean, if Dennis Hopper, amazing, Lara Flint Boyle, a great career, like, but Nicolas Cage has had such a resurgence lately. Like, you would think that they would try to capitalize on that. So, if anyone from any of these distribution companies, whether it be Criterion, Kino Lorber, Vinegar Syndrome, Shout Factory, why can't we get a nice, I would happily, you have my money, a Blu-ray of Red Rock West and a Blu-ray of The Last Seduction because these are, some some of the movies that are kind of fall into obscurity be like, okay, they're they're not really, you know, budget wise or quality wise, it's kinda of iffy. That's that's not the case. And we'll just focus on Red Rock Way Red Rock West. That's simply not the case with this movie. This movie yeah. had a decent budget and um I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, it's no surprise. Uh you know what this movie's downfall was? Take a take before before it was um before before you know before the release this movie's downfall was preview screenings for some reason ah oh, like 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 uh like bad test results or something like that test audiences I think that people it, it and it it didn't fall into so we're going back to 1993 which you know I wasn't old enough to I wasn't even old enough to attend a preview screening of such a movie but uh, it it just doesn't fall nicely into one clear little genre here I think that's kind of the problem and that's also the beauty of a cult movie is that it doesn't fall into one little nice neat genre kind of flick and as someone that is also a huge, I mean, the the three headlining stars here, I'm all, I'm a fan of all of them. I'm a fan of Nicolas yeah. Cage. I'm a fan, a huge fan of Dennis Hopper. He's in my favorite movie of all time, Blue Velvet. I'm a huge fan of Laura Flynn Boyle because I'm a huge David Lynch fan. And mm-hmm. I kind of fell in love with her <laughs> watching Twin Peaks and everything that she's done since. So... Yeah. 
to me, this is just like the perfect kind of movie. And I think you you put it you put it so succinctly, so elegantly that it it's not it's not reinventing the wheel. It's we're not breaking huge new ground here with this movie. Um, yeah, and I do have issues with certain parts of the plot, and I will get into it. But for the most part, you know, on a rewatch, I still get drawn into the mystery of this characters. And I remember the first time watching it that I didn't see some of the twists coming at all. And I'm usually I, I've watched so many movies that I get to the point where I can I can call certain things coming. And I didn't call it with this movie. This movie sets up the characters in a very unique way. And then it kind of... Yeah. I, I almost wish that this this somebody would readapt this into either a novel or a miniseries. I think that you could actually play out um, certain characters here and give them flesh out some backstory... Especially Nick Cage, uh, uh, we know that he's a, a a veteran and that his leg is injured, but um, we don't know much more than that. But I I will note for people because I have this I I do have this conversation with people in regards to Nick Cage, and I I don't even want to get into Nicolas Cage as a person, but just as an actor. As a performer, there seems to be a very distinct, for the sake of this conversation, we'll just say there's there's, there's two camps, not two camps, but there's two modes of Nicolas Cage acting. One, one where he completely is able to indulge in his cage-isms, so to speak, and a, another camp where he he's much more restrained. Uh, I think it it's probably depends on the director um, and the performance. But we don't get any, like, cage-ism freakouts in this movie. It's not... <sighs> what do I want to say? Mm, it's not Vampire's Kiss, I'll sure. say. And sure. I only bring up Vampire's Kiss because I'm going to be covering that later this week. Uh, another movie I love, but yeah. if you want some kind of... If you want a meme cage, if you want Wicker Man, Oh, the Bees kind of thing, you're not going to get that in Red Rock West. This is a very kind of restrained, contra- um, contained performance. Yeah. Except one line. There, there's one line that's in the classic like Nick Cage freakout uh, compilation videos. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse on your show. Please. Um, yeah, Go for it. Mexico line. Uh, which uh, I never knew what movie that was from when he just screams fuck Mexico for no apparent reason. Uh, and, and now I finally know. Now that I've finally seen Red Rock West. So yeah, no, you, you mentioned that, and there are a couple. There, there, there are hints of a cage freakout here, and yeah. um, you almost kind of 
it almost comes to a, a there's there's a part where he's driving the car. Dennis Copper's got a a gun to his head. And instead of like a cage vocal freak out, we get kind of like a cage road rage freak out where like <laughs> he jumps a train. Uh, so you know it's I can appreciate both. Um, but sometimes I think that directors let him be a, a bit too indulgent um, to the detriment of the film. Yeah, in other... I mean, it dep- Yeah, it definitely depends on the kind of movie he's in. I mean, I'll say as far as those being like two sides of Nicolas Cage, I mean, my favorite movie is Adaptation, which is like the more actor cage mm-hmm. you know, side of things so so like uh, and i love the crazy ridiculous over the top nicholas cage too so it's like both sides of it can be great it just depends on on the movie now it's very you bring up something like adaptation which I, I, he's perfect in and i think that's yeah. that's a director knowing exactly what he wants from nicholas cage and not allowing Cage to indulge in some of his more, um, what's the word? eccentric kind of uh, mm-hmm. things, and yeah. I know that we've seen a resurgence of of Nicolas Cage, and he's I've always been a fan. Whether you know, I haven't seen every. The man's been in way too many movies for me to even you know. And, and, and you know, in the past couple of decades, a lot of them were straight to straight to VOD or whatever. So I didn't see those, but I can sit there and watch something like Pig, where he's genius, he's restrained, and it shows that he's a he's a, he's an he can act. Something like Mandy, where he's allowed to act, but also kind of do this Nicolas Cage over the top kind of thing. Yeah, geniusly. Um, Mom and Dad, I like. Or I'm just talking about recent Cage movies. Mom and Dad, I like. Color Out of Space, I liked. Uh, I'm gonna ask you: Did you see a little movie called Dog Eat Dog? No, I haven't seen that one. Okay, so this is uh, which I picked up because it's one of my favorite writer directors, Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader, probably mm-hmm. best known for um, casual listeners as the writer of Taxi Driver. He's also sure. directed a great deal of um, of movies. He did this little movie, and it, it got kind of easily forgotten, and I can kind of see why, because it's not really, it's not his best work. It's not, no one involved it does their best work in it. It's not Paul Schrader's best movie. It's not Nicolas Cage's best performance. It's certainly not Willem Dafoe's best performance. But in the last third of the movie, it's about three career criminals who kidnap a baby to hold it ransom and collect ransom money for. Um, I'm not going to go into much more of the, the plot, but uh, two of the three career criminals are Nicolas Cage and Willem Dafoe and this third guy. But in the last third of the movie, Nicolas Cage went up to Paul Schrader and said, you know, after I get shot or hurt, what if I just started talking like Humphrey Bogart? I'm serious. This was like a behind-the-scenes conversation that happened. And Schrader was like, okay, talk like Humphrey Bogart. That's fine. Um, So if you don't know that, when you're watching the movie, like in the last third of the movie, he gets picked up by an older African-American couple 
on the side of the road and he kind of holds them hostage to give them a ride. And the entire conversation that he's having with them, he's talking like Humphrey Bogart. Out of the blue. So for the first two-thirds of this movie, we have kind of crazy Nicolas Cage and then we've got Nicolas Cage doing Humphrey Bogart. It comes so out... It, it, it takes you out of the movie, which is kind of one of my criticisms with some of the Nicolas Cage performances is kind of like if it's crazy all the way through I'm with it but something right, like right. that is so bizarre that it kind of takes me out of it like if you're going to be crazy be crazy throughout the entire movie or at least have a point to why you're all of a sudden talking like Humphrey Bogart so it's a choice, that's for sure. Um, so, so randomly, I've never asked anyone this before. Um, what would you say? You said adaptation is your your, your favorite. Um, can you throw us a couple other notable Nicolas Cage performances that you think are really um, solid? Oh boy! Well, uh, I would say Matchstick Men. Absolutely uh, fantastic. Um, I would go Bringing Out the Dead. Uh, which is just an incredibly underrated movie, I think. Uh, and then for just totally balls-to-the-wall crazy cage, I'd go Mandy, um, which is uh, completely nuts and uh, super visually inventive and interesting and, and really cool. Uh, and then last year, I actually just watched Vampire's Kiss for the first time, and uh, I had a great time with it. I thought it was, uh, I think it's a much deeper movie than people give it credit for. I think it's actually really great, even if it's known as, like, crazy freak-out cage. I think there's a lot more going on there. No, I agree, and I'm, I'm looking forward to covering a, a hype-up for Vampire's Kiss episode that'll be coming later this month. This one uh, episode will be dropping first. But yeah, I'm going to be covering Vampire's Kiss uh, and like you said, something like Mandy, we get kind of a subdued cage initially, and then obviously, I don't want to spoil Mandy for anyone that hasn't seen it, but there's a reason for Crazy Cage later in the movie. There's, sure. there's, a, there's certain... Yes. Whereas something like Dog Eat Dog, where all of a sudden he's channeling Humphrey Bogart, it doesn't work for me. But something like Mandy, where there's there's a clear turning point where this character goes um, cage, I will just say. Uh, so uh, basically, long story short, I'll save you some uh, some time here, people. If you haven't seen Mandy, check it out. It's it's well worth a watch. You will, uh, If you're a cage fan, and if you're just kind of um, a fan of very cerebral, psychological kind of... Um, dark horror thriller kind of movies Mandy is one to check out but we're talking about Red Rock West and I love I love the first couple minutes of this movie the the, the character set up for Cage is is brilliant it's beautiful it's very subdued but he's shown as kind of a drifter um and he's trying to get a job at a, a drilling site in Texas. And we're initial our first kind of introduction to this character is him getting turned down for this job because he's honest about the fact that his uh, leg has been 
injured and um, it turns out later that it was from uh, Vietnam and then he he just kind of you know instead of blow you know he, he doesn't blow his top his you know he he tells he, his friend asks him like why did you tell the foreman that your leg was injured and he's like well the guy's gonna find out eventually and then yeah. we see him at a gas station and there doesn't appear to be anybody at the gas station. He wanders in, and the cash register is actually open, and the and the till is there, and it's full of money. And he he doesn't take any money. He just you know he walks out, and then the guy says, "Oh, you need some gas?" And uh, he says, "Yeah." And then the guy looks over at his till and sees that it's been you know un undeterred that this guy had the, had. He he could have taken that money, hopped in his car, and been on his way. Didn't do that. Sure. Um. So I kind of like that we're set up this this character, and he says he's looking for work, and the guy says, "Well, try Red Rock in in Wyoming." So he ends up in Wyoming at the Red Rock bar, and says he you know. He shows up there, he orders a coffee, and uh, the guy looks at his license plate out the window. It says, oh, you must be uh, Lyle from Dallas. And he says, yeah, Lyle from Dallas. And it turns out that this guy has hired someone to kill his wife. Now, Cage doesn't know this, and Cage isn't the guy that was hired to kill his wife. But right. this, but this sets in motion the whole, the whole plot. You want to kind of take it from here to uh, wrap up the, the plot before we kind of talk about some of the, um, the themes and whatnot in the movie. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it, it's it's funny because like you were talking about how he's like doing the right thing all the time you know uh telling the truth about his leg like not stealing the cash um but then in this moment he just decides to just be like yeah i'm i'm the guy and and really kind of just take up the uh the personality of this hitman who was supposed to be hired and um take the job basically and uh it's just like a perfect like like we talk about it being like this neo-noir thing it's like a perfect setup for that kind of thing and him uh he's just he's kind of a just a nice average guy who just gets himself into this ridiculous situation uh that you know kind of just goes bad and gets worse from there and gets more convoluted and it gets to be all like those all those things that you want to see out of this kind of movie right and and like you said you know and he even tells the guy later on in the movie he goes i just thought you were looking for like a bartender <laughs> you know <laughs> or a handyman or something he's like i didn't i didn't sign up to kill your wife and it and like you said it's it's the perfect kind of um d- d- noir classic kind of uh wrong man right wrong place or wrong man right place kind of thing to get a job and it turns out that it's not the job that you you signed up for yeah uh, it you know the the biggest i i think one of the best initial twists that really got me was i remember, i distinctly remember 
rewatching this movie for the first time and probably like you know I had it like this was in a box of DVDs that I hadn't seen in like 10, 10 or 15 years and there's a scene in the hospital because he he says okay I'll kill your wife and instead of going to kill her goes and tells her about the plot to kill her she offers him twice the money to take care of her husband uh he takes the cash and he's about to leave red rock and um it would have been a you know a, a quick movie if that had been the place but ends up hitting somebody in the middle of the road takes the guy to the hospital turns out the guy's been shot he didn't shoot him but it it, it's in that scene where we find out in the emergency room that the guy that he ran into at the bar is the sheriff of Red Rock. Yeah. Which I thought was a brilliant twist, but also plays into one of the things that I... One of the things that I... I had trouble with uh, upon rewatching this movie. One of the things that, you know, I can... Um, suspend my disbelief but one of the biggest problems that I kind of had with this movie is that it turns out this guy stole what 1.5 million dollars in Illinois and then moves to Red Rock with his wife who didn't know that he had stolen the money initially uh, and then becomes sheriff that I you know upon rewatch I was kind of like is that really what a guy on the on the FBI's most wanted list, which you know, would would strive to do? I could see him. I could see him owning a bar, but also being the sheriff. Again, suspending your disbelief and just kind of playing into the whole neo noir thing. It just it it heightens the tension. It heightens yeah. the suspense. But that's one. Of, if I had to nitpick anything about this movie, that I would be like. Mm. I don't. Uh, that doesn't seem like plausible. Yeah, but well, I mean, and also that, that that's the thing though about this kind of movie. Like, it's built around so many coincidences. Like, it you is. know, Dennis Dennis Hopper ending up being the real hitman um, was something that I totally didn't see coming. Even though it seems like it should be like a total like obvious twist, but um, I didn't see it coming at all, and I thought that was great. But those. Things like that are are such suspension of disbelief moments that that would be the guy that that he got a ride from. Like it's just it's everything is so random, but everything is so perfectly random that it, it just makes for a great story. Right. So uh, you know, in a nice tight thriller, this is probably an hour, hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes. I don't think it breaks two hours. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just, I just think that this is kind of um, this story w- would kind of benefit from from a little bit more fleshing out um, whether you know e- I, probably a novel or a miniseries because you could flesh out some of the backstories of these people and then kind of bring because you know the thing that you know the person that he ends up hitting on the on the road when it's you know pouring rain is someone that worked on the ranch that uh, Laura Flynn Boyle's uh, character had a relationship with 
and it, it, that kind of gets downplayed. Like we don't get a lot of detail. It's more so kind of just a, a plot point, a MacGuffin. Like you said, this movie kind of it really plays on convenience. Uh, yeah. So, but. You know, that being my only nitpick with the movie, other than that, I think the performances are really, really good. The twists will keep you kind of um, on your toes, so to speak, because, you know, I I almost forgot until a, a rewatch yesterday how important the the reputable police officers in this movie play a role in. And I like the way that it's scripted because... So Cage takes this guy into the hospital. You know, he hits him on the side of the road, takes him into the hospital, and he thinks that his, the guy's only injury was that his car broke down and that he accidentally hit him. And it turns out that the doctor called the calls the cops because... it. It turns out that this guy was shot twice in the stomach. And I love this little... I love the fact that, you know, the sheriff knows, oh my gosh, this is the guy that I hired to kill my wife. And now he's being held for attempted murder on somebody else. Uh, I got to keep this guy close to me so I can manipulate the situation. And one of the, uh, the deputies was like, why are we holding on to this guy? Just let him go. And the sheriff's like, no, whatever. He's like, but it doesn't make much sense. Why would he shoot this guy twice in the stomach and then carry him to the hospital? So I like, I like the fact that there's this very, very smart writing here throughout the movie. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. Which, which allows me to say, okay, the little, the little nitpicks I have about the fact that the sheriff is on the FBI's most wanted list, I can let that go. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of that writing, I think it's right around that moment is like one of my favorite lines of the movie uh, is when those cops are, are going through the uh, uh, Nicolas Cage's glove compartment and they find the uh, the rubber banded stacks of, of hundred dollar bills and a gun. And the one cop says to the other cop, you don't suppose this has anything to do with anything. And I, I just think that's such like a perfect it's almost like a Coen Brothers kind of line, like such a, a small town like in over their heads kind of cop who like isn't that smart but like stumbles their way upon figuring things mm -hmm. out and it's just such a great line i thought and the fact that they i mean we don't find out for sure or not but they they eventually go to arrest the sheriff which again just strong writing because they have all this evidence against the sheriff um towards the end before the climax uh they said, yeah, we've already contacted the FBI. And we don't know for sure if they did or not, but, you know, it's, it, like you said, the, those small-town police in over their heads, instead of um, kind of going with whatever the sheriff says, they say F it and just call the FBI. What, so, again, like, it's, this type, this script is so good. And that's what you're going to find with any of the John Badham movies is his scripts are just so good. He's a very good director. I, I wouldn't... He's never going to get hired at Marvel or DC to, to direct a comic book movie or an action movie. But his, his strengths are in these 
thrillers, these dramas like Rounders, Last Seduction, uh, Joyride, these these very tightly scripted kind of um, thrillers that we don't see too often because they're not huge budget, so they're not going to get the, the, the whole acclaim of being like starring The Rock or starring this comic book character or, you know, from any pre-existing intellectual property so you know i kind of miss movies like this and you know but i'm i'm glad that i can have a conversation with with you and for as a first time watch i'm i'm just pleased that you enjoyed the movie as much as i did because you know yeah. i think this is a really solid thriller that for for well i was going to say for whatever reason doesn't get talked about as much but i think the reason is that it's not really out there to be talked yeah. about. Yeah, it's it's a hard movie to find, and uh, and that is kind of a shame. And I was wondering uh, what you know he's been doing lately because he hasn't made a movie since two thousand seven. You kill me, but looks like mostly working in television, but having a very successful and you know prosperous career in television. It looks he's not not done anything for too long, but then like two episodes here, five episodes here, four episodes here of, like, every show, like, every big drama or action show of the last, like, 10, 15 years. So, I mean, he's doing a lot. I just hope he gets to make another movie sometime. I would love that. And and like I said, you know, my two favorite movies by him are very hard to find. Uh, This one and The Last Seduction. And they both have very similar histories with... uh, um, being produced and then distribution rise or release they end up they end up on cable more than they do in theaters to the right. to the point where if you want to look up the last seduction and, and if not only for you but for anyone listening to this and um linda fiorentino's performance um is one of those movies that is heralded as she was robbed of an oscar nomination and it turns out that the only uh, the big reason that she wasn't nominated for an Oscar was that the last seduction premiered on cable television before it debuted in theaters, which disqualified her from an Oscar nomination. Now, if anyone's seen the last seduction, then you know that her performance is incredible, um, Oscar-worthy contender. And again, this little nitpick because, well, it it debuted on HBO before it played in theaters, disqualified it. And so, like I said, it's a similar backstory to to Red Rock West. They were just like, well, we decided we don't want to distribute this theatrically, so we sold it to HBO, but you can still show it at film festivals. And when it was shown at film festivals, it was very popular. And it was shown on HBO, it did, you know, very good ratings-wise. And then it just kind of ended up in video stores for rental. And then yeah. when after video stores became out of uh, business, you know, th- there's still some there struggling here and there. Um this was probably a movie you could have got on Netflix back in the day when Netflix was mailing you discs, like physical discs, yeah. but you're not going to find it there today. And sure. it, it's just interesting to me. So I kind of, um, before we uh, 
talk any more about you know any of the background or what we liked about this movie what i kind of wanted to ask you was were there movies that you could see so this is 1992 1993 what kind of movies do you think influenced this and the second part to that question what movies do you think were influenced by red rock west yeah i you know it's a great question and obviously that's kind of what we do over on piecing it together so i'm glad you asked me and i was thinking about this like beforehand uh before we got on the call here and i i kept thinking of coen brothers i mean blood simple um you know early, early coen brothers but the funny thing is like most of what i was thinking about i would then go look up and i'd be oh wait that was after this that was after this that was after this so maybe this is a little more influential than than we realized but like i was thinking again coen brothers fargo was just a couple years later and that's like number one thing that came to mind while watching this like obviously a very different setting wyoming versus uh, uh minnesota right fargo but uh very different setting but i thought of that i thought of uh things like payback with mel gibson in 99 i thought of arkansas which was a movie just a few years ago um also blue ruin the uh, jeremy saulnier film from 2013 mm. like these crimes gone wrong people in like situations that they're not quite cut out for uh neo-noir style films that like i said it's like such a great little subgenre of a subgenre, and this fits so nicely into it and i'm i'm sure if i was to uh sit down i'd probably come up with some better examples of ones that influenced it other than just uh earlier coen brothers like blood simple but i yeah i kept thinking of things that were coming after it you know it's funny that you mentioned movies that were coming after it because you know th this very it does have a very early coen brothers feel to it in particular blood simple um uh, and fargo like you mentioned now the movie that this reminded me most of, and this is a movie that came out afterwards, although the novel that it's based on, I'm not sure exactly when it was written, but did you see the 19, I want to say 1997 Oliver Stone movie U-Turn starring Sean Penn and Jennifer Lopez? Sure. I, I saw it back when it came out. I don't remember it that well, but like just my, my little bit of memory of it, I think I can see where you'd be going with that one for sure. So for, for I'll just give a quick refresher for you and for everyone listening. If you haven't seen U-Turn, it stars uh, Sean Penn on his way to go pay a gambling debt. His car breaks down in um, Arizona, and he gets hired by uh, a, a, a rich guy in town, uh, Nick Nolte, uh, playing a very sleazy character who's married to a much younger Jennifer Lopez. And he hires Sean Penn to kill Jennifer Lopez. And uh, when Sean Penn shows up to kill Jennifer Lopez, we're talking 1997 Jennifer Lopez, uh, he can't do it. He falls. <laughs> he falls in love with sure. her. So yeah, this. Yeah. So like I said, this of all the movies that we were talking about, this this one met, reminded me the most of it. But again, that was '97. I'm, I know that it was based on a novel called Stray Dogs. I'm not sure exactly mm -hmm. when that was published, so I don't know chicken or egg which one came first. But the, but they do take you know they do they do play off 
each other very well, but they they take very very different turns. Um, but they would actually make for a very interesting double feature because oh yeah, we're talking mid Midwest neo noir, very similar kind of character uh, uh, characters playing out. Um, but for whatever reason, it's it's very easy. You can go onto Amazon or any other. S- probably service and rent a U-turn whereas you can't with Red Rock West so um, yeah and you know for my show we kind of one of the things that I like to talk about about how a movie gets cult status because um, achieving cult status is, is different for every movie and I think that it it almost helps um, perpetuate the cult status of Red Rock West, the fact that it's so hard to find. Oh, yeah. That almost kind of is the uh, cherry on top of the, the, the cake, so to speak, of, of achieving cult status because you've got a director who's um, done a bunch of movies, a bunch of TV, but, you know, his more mainstream movies... They did all right. Nothing, you know. He didn't set the world on fire. He wasn't a Spielberg or anything like this. Not to not to negate any of his talent. I'm just saying, um, commercial success wise, you know. Yeah. But he never. He he kind of always struck me as someone. I it doesn't surprise me that he's doing a lot of TV now because it, it it's very steady work and it, it it probably pays him very very well and he's very talented at what he does so so good on him I don't want to negate any his talents by any means but as far as achieving cult status it's almost like you know I always say that a cult movie is not gonna come slap you in the face it's not gonna jump out of the screen you're not gonna be bombarded with the amount of advertising and um Marketing that a, a lot of movies today get. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it's clearly a cult favorite um, for good reason because we've got strong performances, a very tight script, great twists and turns. Um, were there any particular scenes that were uh, were highlights for you that you would just like that that really kind of stuck out with you? You, before I do that, I actually just thought of one other movie. Please. Um, you, you know, I'm piecing it together sometimes. We call them puzzle pieces, the, the movies that we think might have been an influence. And sometimes our puzzle pieces will come, like, out of left field and, like, probably weren't really an influence. But uh, we, we made some kind of connection in some way. And I just thought about Fletch um, because Chevy Chase is kind of taking advantage of the situation and allowing himself to get uh, hired uh, to 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 kill this this businessman, uh, even though he isn't supposed to be there and isn't shouldn't be a part of that at all. He's really just investigating this whole this whole thing. So um, I'll, I'll throw in uh, I'll throw in Fletch as a little out there puzzle piece for Red Rock West, and that did come before it. So 85. I am going to second that wholeheartedly. I didn't even think about that, but as soon as it came out of your mind mouth, I thought. Oh my God, he's right. Um, so thank you so much for putting those pieces together, Fletch. There absolutely, absolutely, yeah, awesome. spot on. Uh, I would I say, yeah, it. yeah, it's kind of a mix of Fletch and 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 Blood Simple. 
Although I guess Blood Simple, they already they had a they had a relationship previous to the the whole murder kind of thing. But no, sure. I I, I in in Fargo. But yeah, these are kind of all yeah. I I totally I totally get where you would where these would be puzzle pieces to put together yeah. the Red Rock West uh, game, so to speak. Uh, sure. Great, great point there. Thank you for that. Huh. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and and to your question about uh, other scenes that kind of stood out to me, I mean, we, we kind of already talked about a bunch of them, but um, I'll just, you know, another one I had written down, though, uh, we, we already talked about, like, the opening and how, you know, you, you're kind of, like, getting the sense of Nicolas Cage's character and how he's, like, always, like doing right by people and like kind of making the right choices up until you know the the big moment but um the very very opening scene of him just in the middle of nowhere doing one-arm push-ups next to his <laughs> truck uh, out in the middle of the road yep i mean that's that's a killer like opening shot like just just to get you on the speed of what this movie is going to be like you know a, li- a little bit kind of quirky but at the same time you know, kind of tough and noir influenced and all that. So it's a really interesting opening shot and really kind of sets the sets the stage for what's coming next. You know, it, it's. I'm just thinking about it now because we're talking about this guy. We're, we're, he's set up as, as having a very kind of um, base standard of morals and integrity and honesty. And slowly but surely, that kind of get chips away throughout the movie. Um, sure. Now let's let's so we'll, we'll talk about yeah Cage being open and honest about the fact that his leg is kind of messed up, so he doesn't get the job. He has the chance to uh, steal money from the gas station. What were your thoughts about the at the um, the conclusion of this movie? The fact that we end up the the very end of the movie. Um, He's being held at gunpoint. Uh, Dennis Hopper finds out that J.T. Walsh has, you know, all this money hidden away. And he takes him, Cage, and Lara Flynn Boyle to this um, cemetery where the money's buried. And then the very end, Walsh is dead. Hopper's dead. And Cage and Laura Flynn Boyle are on a train, and she's gonna double cross him, and he throws all the money out the train. Well, we think all the money. What did you think about the very end where, you know, he throws her off the train, she's staring at the train going away, she thinks all the money is gone, we hear police sirens in the background. We see Cage in the in, in the in the train. It turns out he's still got like one stack of money that yeah. he didn't throw away. What were your thoughts on that conclusion for the movie? Did that kind of? I uh, think it's it's great. It, it it definitely fits with the character because he doesn't he doesn't want more than he feels like he deserves or whatever. He just wants he wants to live an honest life and 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 make some money and and be able to live and so he he kept just enough to live and kind of screwed up this you know kind of evil plot in the process and you know he he 
doesn't care about that other money. Like it's just, it's not as important to him. And that way it kind of, you know, I mentioned payback earlier, reminded me of that where Mel Gibson just wants what's owed to him. He doesn't want anything else, you know? And, uh, it's a, it's a fun, like classic movie, movie ending. Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, for those of you who want all my thoughts on payback, I, I, I've covered this on the show. Um, yeah, because I had a, I had a, a payback talk with the, with a guest of mine um, about the movie, this, uh, and we debated the theatrical cut over the director's cut um, of, oh, of sure. payback because they are very very different and again go uh, dig into the uh cult film companion archives all my thoughts on payback are there but yeah i i kind of i I liked it because like you said you know he he took a job wasn't the job he thought it was going to be but you know it turned out to be far worse than he could probably have ever imagined so i like the fact that he didn't get all the money and that he used you know, ninety-five percent of the money is a distraction to get Laura Flynn Boyle off the train, sure. And then kept kept a little something for himself just so he could survive. And like you said, he's not you know he's not trying to uh, he doesn't want the whole enchilada. He just wants his piece of it. So, like you, I'm I'm okay with that. Um, so I mentioned my biggest criticism of the movie. Is there any, anything that you know, you kind of had trouble with, or things that you would critique or change? Really, no. Like, and and I, I still wouldn't like go above like a like I rated this three and a half out of five on Letterbox. Like, I I don't know that I'd go above that because, like I said, it doesn't like do anything particularly new. Like, it just is a solid, solid movie, and there's nothing that I would change about it. Um, it just doesn't quite do anything particularly new or different. Uh, but I really can't say that there's anything I would change. Okay. I think three and a half stars out of five is very fair for this movie. Um, yeah, I think the mo I would. I've I've just gotten into doing letterbox reviews. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to. I'd probably give this. I'd give it either three and a half or four out of five stars. I, I think that's yeah. where I would be. Um, it's. Um, it's a B plus A minus kind of movie for me. Um, yeah, and again, for people that are like, "Oh my god, it's like it's such a good movie." Like a B plus A minus. That's that's a good strong rating. You know, that's absolutely that's, that's solid. nothing. And, and yeah, I feel I feel like it could go higher for me on a rewatch if it like holds up. You know, without the without. Uh, you know, with already knowing the twists and all that stuff, like if it still holds up, I think I could easily go to a four on this one, uh, because yeah, it, it's just a, a really good, enjoyable movie. And I would say for you that it probably will hold up because what I found in rewatches is that some of the plot points, um, since I knew the twists, I wasn't anticipating any twists and turns so I kind of paid more attention to the dialogue that was being exchanged through characters and I was never disappointed it's it's very very strong um yeah it's very relatable there's nothing other than what you know the 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 point that I brought up you know everything else is very grounded I like the fact that Dennis Hopper starts this fire to distract the police 
And mm-hmm. I like the fact that they incorporate the fact that now that the sh- they've arrested their own sheriff, so it's the deputies that are in charge, and they're like, I kind of like the fact that, you know, you wouldn't get something like this nowadays, I don't think. Maybe you would, but they're like, the old McLaughlin place is on fire or something. It wasn't McLaughlin, but it was like the old something-something place is on fire. We need all the help you can get. And, the guy, you know, the deputy showing this volunteer how to operate the police radio who's just showing up. He's like, you don't need to know this button or this button, just this call and receive and all this kind of stuff. I, I appreciate all the little details. And I think, again, that that just speaks to the strength of... Um, about him as a filmmaker in general but also as a screenwriter because his scripts are always just um they're always just so very good uh, even if he's kind of um even if he's not um an initial developer of the story and if he's come on later in the process to work on movies i i still think that his fingerprints are on it and he's He's so good at tightening up little loose, little, he's just, little loose ends that maybe other directors would have um, let dangling. He, he, he will take the time, and even if it's 30 seconds or a minute, he'll tighten them up. And I, I would, I would, um, I would recommend for you, um, you know, give it six months, give it a year, come back and watch Red Rock West. And I, th- you'll still have, um, a really good movie to talk about. Um, and it's also one of those movies that I love recommending to people, although it's a frustrating recommendation because it's, like you said, when we initially discussed trying to talk about this, it's it's not easy to find. So I, I, I hope... I hope someday that some distributor will will snap this up and and give it the kind of release that it deserves because um yeah, I love my DVD copy of Red Rock West. It's not going anywhere, but um it's also, you know, like I said it's bare bones. There's not even a a title menu. Like <laughs> it's 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 the very like it's just like the height of bare bones media release. So somebody give Red Rock West um, a proper release because it deserves it. Some some movies that are kind of lost, I can see why, and I'm not too anxious about it, and I'm not you know rattling the cages saying you know justice for this or that. But I, it, this movie kind of surprises me, just given the caliber of acting. The caliber of stars, the people behind the scenes—it's just kind of confusing to me that it, it doesn't—it um, doesn't have more prominence out there. So I, I guess that's my biggest criticism about the movie is that more people don't know about it. Because I think that at the time when it first came out, like you know, I didn't have HBO in '93, and even if I did, I wouldn't have been old enough to watch this movie when it came out. But I, I'm sure it was kind of one of those um before hbo became this huge massive uh company that it did putting out originals to see something like red rock west in 93 i'm sure it was a talking point for for at least cinephiles or critics because this movie did uh very very well critically which doesn't does not surprise me at all 
I was kind of surprised that audiences didn't like it. But then again, I, I would like to know what were the demographics for 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 audience, you know, in test screenings that they were showing this to. Were they showing it to teenagers? Yeah, I know. And I feel like it maybe came out a little too soon. Like, I think this would have done better in a post-Fargo like cinema scape like people people like understanding that kind of movie and and wanting to see more of those kind of things and like we said like a lot of these movies that we were thinking it reminded us of they're all came after and so i think maybe it's just a little too soon um and it, it could have done better later on i also just uh, noted uh roger ebert gave it three and a half out of four um he loved it and I can understand. I can understand why. If I was a if I was um, a film critic in 1993, and you know, I sat down and uh, I had to watch. You know, he he's probably. I can't think of off the top of my head what came out in '93, but you know, I I I could see. And like I said, I'm, it didn't surprise me that you know critics like Ebert and uh, uh, others love this movie because. It's genuinely a really, really good movie. And for those of... And for... You know, I have certain people that I know, particularly my, my in-studio co-host, is not a fan of Nicolas Cage, but he's not a fan of the over-the-top kind of Nicolas Cage things. Right. So right. this is the kind of performance from Cage that... He would he would actually sit through a movie and watch because the, other than yeah the fuck Mexico the, there's there's glimpses of it but it's clearly a director that um, knows what he wants and is not about to, to and I hate to say this but I'm just gonna say it it's not a, about to let Nicolas Cage sabotage it in a way that I yeah. think Paul Schrader allowed because he he gave the go ahead on the whole. Humphrey Bogart kind of thing and um, I'm not kidding if you watch Dog Eat Dog the first two thirds of the movie are really really good and then all of a sudden Cage goes into Humphrey Bogart and you just don't get it uh, and I think that he, Cage needs Cage thrives when a director knows his strengths and knows when to reel him in and says when he comes up with a suggestion, he, he, he'll either say no or eh, can we talk about it? Can we tweak it? And not just give him the go-ahead and be like, okay, I'm working with Nicolas Cage. So I'm going to just let him do whatever the hell he wants because then you get, you know, you get some batshit crazy stuff. And, and some people absolutely love it. And um, to a certain extent, I do. But... I, I need movies like this and adaptation and um, leaving Las Vegas. Those kinds of movies, those grounded cage movies, to show that you know this guy, you know, when given the right kind of parameters, is able to deliver a very, very good performance, a believable performance. Yeah. So absolutely. Um. Any final thoughts on Red Rock West? I think we pretty much covered it. I mean, great score. I'll tell you that, too. Uh, I did. I like the music. It's noir. I, it's, yeah, it's more like Western. You know, there's a lot of country in it, which I'm not a big country guy, but, like, it's the right kind of country music that I that I would like. And, uh, yeah, great, great score, too. I mean, it's 
it's one of those movies where there's just like every little detail are, are things that I like, you know. Now, uh, you know, I should have asked you this as being a, a, a music composer, what you thought about the score, but you, you, you said it very well because I also, too, am not, I'm not personally, when I'm picking music to play around the house, Western is not something that I typically lean to, but the score in Red Rock West is perfectly apt for the setting and the tone of the movie that it's in, you know? Yeah. It's got that con- kind of country western twang, but we're talking about a guy from Texas in, you know, Wyoming. I've never been to Wyoming. <laughs> I've never been to Texas. But sure. it, everything kind of like the music playing in the bars that they're in, like everything set, it, it, nothing, set it, nothing to me felt out of place. Where I'd be like, oh, that's distracting. Like, why are they putting <laughs> that kind of music? You know, which I do with other movies. I'm like, what? You know, this score is kind of off. It's not fitting. And I guess as a composer, I want to ask you, what is the sign of a good music s- score? Something that, um, because sometimes I found myself, I've had to re- rewind a movie to watch because the score. Um, has been better than the visuals that I'm seeing, that I'm more engrossed in the music than I am with the movie. And something like Red Rock West, I think it's a perfect balance where neither is over-distracting and it's just an an all-encompassing experience to me. So what to you makes like um, a really good score for a, a movie? Yeah, I mean, you just said it. Like, your job as a composer is is to support the film. It's not to stand out and and make everybody take notice of how great your music is. Like, your job is to to help support whatever the intention is of the filmmaker in in making the scenes work and making the overall film work and making everything you know feel cohesive and have a vibe to it and uh yeah this is this is the kind of score that absolutely does that and that's what i strive for when i'm working on a film now um follow-up question what who uh and just i'm just going to talk music score wise not just musically um because i'm sure your musical influences are all over the place Uh, me as a former musician my musical influences are all over the place but for you um, who are your biggest inspirations as film composers, as people that have done scores for movies? Um, I, yeah, I like a lot of different stuff. Um, I mean, you know, obviously I, I, I'm a big like Trent Reznor fan, so I mean, I, I love you know what what him and Atticus Ross have been doing. I I love Clint Mansell, uh, Thomas Newman. Um, you know, there's so many people. Uh, I mean, it's not really my style but lately uh some of my favorite stuff is alexander desplat I, I you know loved his pinocchio score this past year so much um yeah i mean really just kind of comes all over the place you know uh carter burwell speaking of the coen brothers um his stuff's amazing uh, just last year the the uh, banshees of anishir and that score um that kind of does exactly the same kind of thing that the red rock west score does in that it's just it, it helps set the tone of, of the movie, and that's that. And that's that's what you want to hear. So I have a question, and before I... Uh, I'm going to ask you the question, then I'll give you my answer, and then um, please offer your own. 
Who was the first person that you like made you notice as a, like the first person that only that not only um, appealed to your ears as a film composer, but then you were just like actually sought out the music for. Um, and I'll give you my answer, and then please um, take all the time you need to 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 give your answers. To me, it was it was Danny Elfman. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, probably it was so 1989 Batman. I was eight when it came out, and I was a, already a huge Batman fan. Loved the movie, and that was distinctly the first time I remember buying the soundtrack to a movie. And not only that, but and this is not, you know, this happens all the time now. I'm not sure how popular it was in 1989. But I remember distinctly buying the Prince soundtrack for Batman 1989 on cassette and Danny Elfman's film score for Batman 1989 on cassette. So I, my question to you is who was the first person that really kind of Put, not only caught your ear, but to the point where you were like, okay, I, I kind of want to seek out this music. So when you first asked it, my my answer like that first came to mind was Danny Elfman. Um, but for the sake of mixing things up a little bit, since you brought up Danny Elfman, and I completely agree, uh, I'm going to go Brad Fidel for the Terminator and Terminator 2 scores. Which right? Were, <laughs> I mean, those really just blew me away when I at that let's see Terminator 2 is 91 I was 11 and so like at the time I was just like this is the greatest thing I've ever heard you know and so it uh definitely you know was a big influence on me getting into uh you know those kinds of like big just anything goes bombastic kind of scores you know I've um more recently been going back to like a lot of 70s movies and listening to the scores and um wow i i i think and and this is just uh, i maybe it's because i watch more older movies than i do recent movies maybe it's different for you i i sometimes find modern film scores just to be a little bit what's the word i want they're not as unique as some of older scores are. They seem to be recycling a lot of, not necessarily the same music, but the same kind of themes, you know, like the real. Yeah. And I, I'm sure as a composer, you recognize that. Like when the Hans Zimmer, was it Hans Zimmer that, I don't know, it was like the Dark Knight, like the real sure. deep kind of thing. Like everybody started doing that then. Oh, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, so to me, like I, I, I think that a good score. I think you. Thank you for putting it so so um, poetically, as speaking as it should support the movie, not overwhelm it. And sometimes, um, you know, a bad movie could have a good score. Speaking of, can you think of any? Uh, just randomly, off the top of your head, off the cuff. Can you think of any movies you didn't like, but you actually liked the score of? Oh, that's that's an interesting question. I, I don't have an <laughs> I'm answer so, off yeah, the I'm top so, of my head. That That's more you of a thinker. 
that, that's more of a I'm thinker. Gonna be, yeah, I'm going to be thinking about that, actually. And uh, I'm going to have to come up with an answer and let you know about that, because that, that's a really good question. Because the only thing that came to mind, and the only reason that I asked this, because I, um, I put this on Twitter a couple weeks ago. So I picked up um, one of these four Blu-ray kind of disc things for like five or six bucks at my local 7-Eleven. And um, I bought it just so I could have a Blu-ray copy of A History of Violence directed by David Cronenberg. But one of the other movies that it came with, um, I had never seen. Um, I'm trying to think what the other two movies. The other two movies I had seen. I had never seen this uh, DC Jonah Hex movie starring Josh Brolin. Actually, Jonah Hex is a, a, a fascinating movie because it's not a good movie. It has an incredible cast. And the score, the majority of the score is done by Mastodon, uh, a band that I am a fan of. And the score is really, really good. And the cast is incredible with Josh Brolin, um, John Malkovich is in it, Michael Fassbender is in it. It's such an incredible cast. It's a terrible movie. And it's not even like a it's not even like a cult worthy movie, but uh, the score is pretty damn good um, because we you know I'm not sure if you're a Mastodon fan or not, uh, but they're good. They're really really good. So that that's that's I'm, I don't know any of their stuff. Like I know of them, but I don't really know any of their songs. But uh, I I could imagine it would probably be pretty uh, pretty good heavy song heavy uh, score. So. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies best heard than seen. So that, sure. that, that, that's a rarity. Anything you want to uh, hype coming up on the Piecing It Together podcast? Well, uh, we'll be doing a live show here in Las Vegas uh, for the movie Cocaine Bear on February 23rd. So I'm very excited about that. I actually just uh, posted the news right before we got on this recording. Uh, so that's coming up. And of course, just regular weekly episodes and then uh as far as music is concerned i just put out a new album called more content so people can find that on my website by davidrosen.com and all of uh david's uh stuff with his permission will be uh tagged in the episode description and uh i don't know if you foresee this we've never talked before but uh my birthday is february 23rd so thank oh. you, thank you for having a live show in honor of my birthday, but more Absolutely. so, more so honoring the upcoming uh, Cocaine Bear, which I think we're all either anxiously awaiting or kind of, I don't know, we're awaiting in yeah. one way or another to kind of see what Cocaine Bear is actually going to be about. So well, um, when you when you get to your five year anniversary, you're going to have to cover Cocaine Bear because then it'll be you know a little older and you can like kind of. Talk about its cult classic status. Yeah, you know, as much as I hate the phrase um, <laughs> instant cult classic, when you've got a title like Cocaine Bear and yeah. you have like one of the last um, performances by the great Ray Liotta, R.I.P., oh, yeah. uh, uh, how can you not? achieve cult status instantly with cocaine bears so, you know what i don't think we're going to top that so thank you so much for joining me uh, on this on this episode to talk about red rock west uh for those of you out there who have never seen red rock west uh try to track it down uh contact david he'll tell you how to how to, how to find it 
Um, you can you can find copies used DVD Blu-rays. They are floating around there. Um, support local physical media distributors, and I'm talking local, not like a, a Best Buy or Walmart. None of those box stores, like the little guy that'll your record store that will still sell DVDs and Blu-rays. I'm sure you could dig up a copy of Red Rock West. They are out there. They are worth owning. They are worth watching. And um, Thank you so much, David, for joining me for this episode, and thank you all for listening. I will be back with some more cult film classics uh, coming up the rest of this year and uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, future. and of course, uh, my weekly Twin Peaks talk is an ongoing series that I'm continuing, so thank you all so much for your support.